Welcome to The Watching Dead, the officially unofficial podcast for The Walking Dead on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And tonight we're discussing Season 4, Episode 9, titled After. It's the first episode back on the mid-season, and uh, I thought it was pretty good. I think, uh, judging by the instant cast, you were not quite as thrilled, but you still thought it was good. I thought it was a good way to start the episode, and I think uh, several people on Facebook and elsewhere called me back on the foolishness of my expectations but uh, <laughs> when yeah. you mentioned Breaking Bad in the same sentence, yeah, they're like, "What the hell are you high?" <laughs> and I actually was not high on Sunday, and uh, I just, I, I, I got, I don't know, I felt kind of silly. But like I pointed out to people uh, in my defense, I don't think we knew that R.J. Mitt uh, was capable of some of the stuff that he did until you know he squared off against a great. Brian Cranston. So yeah, honestly, even Aaron Paul, right? Yeah, right. And uh, the what he was capable of in season two, I don't think anyone saw coming from season one. So you know, this is season four. Uh, <laughs> Rick uh, Andrew Lincoln talked this scene up sky high, and uh, so I was expecting that. And then the Michonne. So. I guess I'm just going to wait till to get to the recap, because I'm, I'm about to just rehash all these okay, points with yeah. you. All right, all right. So before we get to the recap, you have a couple things that you want to mention. Go for it. Yeah, I want to try to remember to do this at the beginning of every season, but if you're new to the Bald Move family, just to let you know the way we handle spoilers is we have a special custom-made spoiler section at the end of the podcast. We play our outro music. You get at least, what, 15 seconds? 30 seconds? Mm-hmm. You get 15 minutes of music before <laughs> the spoilers start flying at you fast and furious. And we consider spoilers anything in the comic books and anything that hasn't happened up to this week in Walking Dead, including the promos. So just that. Also, um, you know, we haven't talked to people in a long time, Jim. It's been since before Christmas, really. Um, sure. We had a child play um, charity drive that we did in December where all the money that we... Uh, got through a- our Amazon affiliate link and all the money we got through PayPal, we donated directly to Child's Play, which is a charitable organization that uh, stocks children's hospitals with toys, video games, puzzles, and books to help uh, take sick kids' minds off the situation and help the treatment. And we set a goal for $3,000. We raised $3,620. That's pretty and- awesome. One of the great things about this charity is something crazy like ninety five percent of ninety five cents of every dollar goes right to the charity because they mm-hmm. they intentionally set up with a super low overhead and a lot of most of that the biggest part of that five percent is probably just the the money conversion fees so a lot of volunteers a lot of people's generosity uh, thank you very much for making us uh, making that happen and uh, we couldn't be happier the way that turned out one last thing. Uh, House of Cards Season 2 is coming back this weekend, this Valentine's Day weekend. Our best intelligence says that it's going to drop around midnight Pacific time or 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Jim and I are going to get up at the crack ass of dawn. No, it's before. It's not even zero yeah. dark 30. It's <laughs> in the dead of fucking night. And we're going to start marathoning this, this beast. We're going to watch an episode, do an instant cast. Watch an episode, do an instant cast until we pass out. Then we're going to get up and do it again, and we're going to aim to have all 13 episodes out um, by probably uh, late Sunday night, if not early Monday morning. Yeah, so definitely. 
we just marathon season one the previous weekend. Uh, we're, I think we're up to episode nine of that released. We're releasing about two a day until we get up to the, uh, the, the, the main event. So hopefully you'll join us at that. Uh, you do not have to be as crazy as us, as we. We just wanted to be there for the crazies in, in, in case you're interested. So um, we're excited about that. Check that out at baldmove.com. And uh, I think we're ready to get into the recap, unless you got some bullshit you want to talk about. Nope, nothing up front. Uh, let's get right into the recap. Oh, one other thing. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I take back everything I said about the harsh Georgia winter. Um, because oh, a- apparently you all got like an inch of, uh, snow, mm-hmm. uh, of New England clam powder as a, that is a Saturday Night Live skit. Uh, that, that, they had this really funny skit where they had one of the dudes as a Southern gentleman and he used like 50 different euphemisms for snow. The devil's dandruff. Uh, you got an inch of that stuff and, and temperatures got down like 20 degrees and shit was crazy. Like I think um, I think a half a million people died on the interstates. Uh-huh. Uh, kids didn't go to school for three weeks. I, I I fully believe that that Rick and company could have almost died during a winter if they had a polar vo- vortex one. <laughs> yeah, don't so, even ask me how many inches we got here. At the oh, same time, you, it was well, brutal. Yeah, I was gonna say Indianapolis got something like twenty nine inches just in January alone. So yeah, um, and I I don't know that we even have that many snowmobile dealers. In Indiana, sure, I wouldn't think so. So I still, I still will not back down from my uh, mockery of uh, Rick's plan to get his hands on a snowmobile. But I was supposed to get another three to five tomorrow. <laughs> well, for some enterprising power sports dealer, your time is nigh. Uh, <laughs> get get out there, start moving them them uh, beasts. All right, let's get to the recap, shall we? Yes. All right, so we start off with. Uh, this really cool shot of the tank from above and the, and the prison scene in uh, kind of chaos there. And we, we see Michonne is still at the prison and she's kind of walking around with all the, all the walkers look like they're attracted to the prison because of the noise and the commotion. Yeah. Kind of ignoring her a little bit. Right. Uh, until they get too close, but she goes back in and she decides I'm going to take out Herschel's uh, zombified head, which I gotta say, I'm I'm really glad she did that. I thought it was awesome. Classy it was, move. It, it, looking at Herschel's head was very sad for me. I don't know particularly why it was, but it, it had more of an impact than we got his neck sliced. Yeah. Uh, in last season. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I had a lot of thoughts when I was watching it happen, like you know, thinking about how we met this man and how he was keeping his dead ones. Uh, zombie dead ones alive in the barn because he wanted to rescue them somehow and now seeing the you know the man he became and now seeing this bloated head like a bullfrog uh mm-hmm. you know it, it was it was sad and i i'm i'm glad for two reasons number one so people don't fucking email about us every season wondering about herschel's head or making some joke about herschel's head <laughs> sure and, num- and number two just because i think that was the classy thing for michonne to do the, the funny thing is i i watched through talking dead today because uh, I didn't get a chance because we were instant casting. And Greg sure. Nicotero brought that prop, that animatronic prop, and set it on get the out. table. <laughs> and it looked so freaky. And he was, like, yeah. operating it with the animatronics and everything. And Chris Hardwick got the pudding out, and he put it near his mouth. Really funny. <laughs> Good. I'm glad they're having a little fun on that show. That's nice yeah. to see. Oh, they definitely are. 
Uh, they also got really serious on that show with Michonne's character, and it, it enlightened me a lot about what she was going through this episode. Cool. Uh, you gonna so, be you gonna be bringing any of those uh, thoughts, or you're gonna keep them on yourself? No, I'm gonna be bringing them. Uh, and and right. if you're really interested in them, go check out Talking Dead uh, for this week because it was really good. Um, so she also signs up a couple of new pets during this operation. Um, apparently, they were some of the governor's men. At least one of them fun. was. I saw that the one that was on the flannel, uh, wearing the flannel shirt that impaled himself. Uh-huh. He was w- wielding some sort of assault rifle in the uh, attack on the prison. Okay. So w- one of her pets is recycled from the from the governor's uh, uh, motor park home that he <laughs> that he rallied against the prison. Yeah. Uh, so then we get to Carl and Rick. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Uh, Can old... I back? I, I just sure, want to point yeah. out something that I thought was really cool. You talked about the tank. Um, but also the dead horse, the disemboweled <laughs> oh, horse. That's right. It yeah. was a really, a really nice uh, throwback to the end of uh, episode one from season one, beginning of episode two, season one. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I mean, the camera angle, the burning tank, the eviscerated horse. It was, it was really cool. I thought that was clever. Yeah, definitely. Apparently, zombies' second favorite meal next to humans is horse. So. Yeah, of course. <laughs> All right, so Carl and Rick are walking down the road. The only other two characters in this episode. Uh, Rick tries to tell Carl kind of what they need to do. They need to get shelter and supplies and stuff like that. Carl's over it. Carl doesn't want to hear anything from his dad. And uh, after a very, very brief conversation, he's kind of speeds off down the road. Uh, I really like this moment when Rick comes up to Carl and and tries to say, we're going to be okay. But he, he gets to, we're going to be, and then he looks at Carl who is not having any of it, and he doesn't even finish that sentence because he knows it's bullshit, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the point. It is bullshit. You can't prompt, you can't, Carl's not young enough for that kind of Jedi parent mind trick to work on anymore. And at this point, he is completely disillusioned in his father's ability to lead, protect, or do, you know, know, judging from his physical condition, to put one foot in front of the the other. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. All right, so eventually uh, they put enough feet in front of the other to get to Joe's, uh, Joe and Joe Jr.'s barbecue shack where Rick wants Carl to wait outside, and Carl says, no way, look at you, you can't even walk. Uh, so they go inside, they deal clumsily with a walker, and they gather some supplies. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything you liked about this scene? Uh, first, I like the fact that there is motorcycles parked in front of this bike biker bar, this bar- roadside barbecue joint, like... That was their response to the end of the world, to fire up uh-huh. the hog and run down to the local watering hole and just, you know, let what happens happen. <laughs> sure. um, uh, so I like that. Um, it's interesting that Rick was so weak he couldn't drive a hatchet into a walker's head deep enough to kill it. And, yeah. you know, we, we I think we might have talked about this in the instant cast, but... The rocker's rot, the wa- the rotting walker's skull is famously soft as a you know a, a summer squash. Uh-huh. So the fact that he couldn't even penetrate that pretty pretty brutal. Definitely. Uh, also, there's a moment like where where Carl has to shoot the thing and he says, "I win." Uh, this it feels like there's a competition brewing between them to see who can keep Carl alive the longest, Carl or Rick. Uh, and that that kind of plays out throughout the episode. What we'll you, um, also, I thought it was interesting that they more or less. I would have taken all that hot sauce because if they made it, I mean, the difference between uh, Daryl Squirrel Fry 
and mm-hmm. Daryl Scroll Fry with Sriracha, I think would have to be something that would it, that that's a key survival component. You know, having hot sauce to put on whatever fucking thing Daryl brings back to the camp, squirming yeah. on the end of his crossbow bolt. That that's a crucial survival thing that you know I haven't seen something that foolish since Rick not taking cat food with him or dog food. <laughs> Idiot survivor of the week worthy. Yeah, oh yeah, it's going to be mentioned. <laughs> you don't turn hot sauce down, good God! Especially hot See, sauce good enough to fucking get on your motorcycle and die in the apocalypse for. <laughs> that's some good barbecue sauce. I'm not so sure about that, man. There's a scene later <laughs> on where they're in the house and Rick opens up a fridge. And there's Sweet Baby Ray's in there. What are they doing with Sweet Baby Ray's when they've got a barbecue shack a mile down the road? Well, you know. <laughs> anyway. Uh, you can't use Sweet Baby Ray's. That's refrigerate after open. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> All right. So then we go back to Michonne, who sees some boot prints in the mud. And she kind of looks at him and thinks and then decides, you know what? I'm not going to follow those boot prints. I'm going to just go keep walking in the woods. Uh, this kind of plays in. This is where we start to see really what's going through Michonne's head here. There's, um, I, I don't know if I want to start it right now, but there, yeah. there's a very clear path for her uh, that's laid out, and she decides not to take that path. I think, yeah, I think you, I think, I think you might want to wait till that plot ripens before we yeah. just do the discussion that you're wanting to have on it. Absolutely, but just keep that in mind that that path. Okay. Uh, so we go back to Rick and Carl, and they enter a house to kind of stay for the night, get some shelter. And Carl stumbles into what I assume is his dream room. Right. He's got books and video games and yeah. toys, and it's just awesome. Uh, and th- this is, you know, Carl's life if this zombie apocalypse had not happened. Exactly. And you can see that stereotypical teenager walking into a really cool room look in his eye, and he's, like, going through the video games. But then you can yeah. also see... What the fuck? There's no electricity. None of this shit's going to work. This is stupid. And it's like he actually did a fairly good job of portraying that range of emotion there, I thought. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, So then he, when he has that realization, he takes the cable from the TV and he uses it to secure the front door with a a strong knot, a clove hitch knot, which uh, (laughs) Shane taught him. Remember him? Uh Uh-huh. What a slap in the face to his father, right? I mean, he's just being completely insolent here um i don't do you think he realizes do you think he's like uh f- getting older and wiser has figured out the possible um you know nudge nudge wink wink nature nature of his mother and shane's relationship because that takes that insult to a whole other level interesting rubbing your yeah. father's face and the fact that he murdered his best friend is cold but doing it the fact that shane put the horns on your head and cuckled you is ice cold sub zero. I want to give Carl the benefit of the doubt and say he doesn't realize that. Okay. And he's That's... literally just saying you got this guy killed. Okay. All right. Or, well, you directly killed this dude. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, there's a there's an interesting moment in there when Rick goes into the bathroom and he kind of sees the damage that has been done to him, and I think there's kind of a question in his mind as to whether or not he can protect Carl, especially after that axe to the head. You know. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say about that scene? Mm, don't think so. Okay, let's move on. Uh, there's there's a lot of like tension between Rick and Carl, which we'll, of course, dive into later. Uh, anyway, there's a Michonne flashback, which I thought was a really cool way to fill us in on her backstory and also have an interesting scene at the same time. Uh, 
this to me very much felt like what it feels like when a not, when a dream is turning into a nightmare. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't all it doesn't just happen. It's slowly like things don't seem right. Something something is weird here, and then all of a sudden you realize what's going on, and it's a nightmare. Yeah, man, I had I actually had one of those uh, late last week, and I I probably only dream like three or four times a year that I remember. Uh-huh. It was I was sitting in front of my computer programming like I do, and I went to like wiggle a tooth, and the whole <laughs> fucking thing came out in my hand, oh, no. and then all my teeth fell out, and it was one of those things like, oh my god, oh my god, and then I woke up. <laughs> wow. So that, that's, I, that would be a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but <laughs> there it is. All right. So there are a couple of guys here in the house with uh, Michonne. Their their names are Mike and Terry. Obviously, those are. The, the pets that she had at the very beginning when we met her. Yes, sir. Uh, and we find out that Mike is her lover and the father of a child. Um, and Terry is kind of jealous, I guess, of Michonne's uh, abilities in this new world. Like, everything that happens in this dream is Michonne grappling with this this situation. Sure. From, from start to finish, from the day the zombie apocalypse happened to now. Uh, the conversations they're having all play into that, into what happened between them. And it's a little cryptic. Um, but if you go watch that Talking Dead episode, she lays it out to where it makes perfect sense. Okay. Um, Are you going to attempt to do that or just direct us to Talking Dead? Well, I can. I mean, there, so so Michonne's sword ability, I don't know how she got the sword skills that she has, but she had them... You know, before the zombie apocalypse happened, or right. or she discovered them very shortly after. Um, those that is driving a wedge between her and Terry because Terry is very jealous of those skills because it is making Michonne an asset to these people, um, a, a very powerful person in this new world, and he doesn't and like he, that. He's jealous, and he he is trying to keep her down. Is that what it is? Because well, he they... wants to be that person. And, huh. and he can't be because he doesn't have the skills that she has that are now crucial in this new world. Now, is this stuff that the writers actually told her, or is this backstory she's filling for herself? Because I don't think that any of that is is, is in quite in evidence in the scene. Uh, they hint at it, right? I mean, he's making if, fun of her for the sword thing. See, I thought that, he was. I thought he was worried about her being seen as an asset, that that was going to somehow draw too much attention to their family or going to make her have to take risks that might endanger herself and obviously their their son. Well, I'm I'm going off of what Denai okay. said. Okay, all right, so go ahead. Go I ahead. assume if anybody's going to know, uh, she probably would. <laughs> okay, fair point. <laughs> yeah, um, and I really like how the the world kind of falls apart around her. Like, if you look at the background at the, at yeah. the very end, Atlanta's destroyed. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool, and all these little things are changing. Um, so did they go into what exactly happened to these two? Like, why did they die? Did they get overrun? Did they... Um... They, they didn't go into that. Um, they They did say, however, that part of the big problem that Michonne had dealing with this world was wondering why to go on and how to keep keep going on mm-hmm. and that it's it's my impression that something about that conversation didn't they they just never figured it out right and so something happened along the way where these guys died and they wouldn't have had to if maybe they had you know been a little more prepared or taken this a little more seriously or whatever 
One thing that uh, Seppenwall's review mentioned is he thought he got the clear impression that these two are, like, opted out and oh. might have, like, committed suicide and maybe even taken uh, to, to spare themselves and maybe even did that to her child. Uh-huh. And it reminded me of the – someone asked them about her pets in the show, and she mentioned about how those two – she said something about how they were either they were bigger monsters in life or they deserved what they got or something along the lines where, you know, there wasn't much affection towards them. Um, and now that I know that they used to be lovers, uh, or at least she was with one of those guys, I'm, I'm wondering if that doesn't have a little bit of ring of truth, that somehow she blames them for the death of her son or holds them directly responsible. Um yeah, that's uh, Espe- pretty solid. Especially theory. the way the two were talking, because you know, the, the, to me, the flashback had three sequences. You had to like everything's okay except for the samurai sword sequence. Mm-hmm. The Atlantis fucking bombed out, and the guys are talking more of a depressed. And then the third one was when they actually were missing their arms, and she started freaking the fuck out. Yeah. On second watch, what did you think of her? Did you have a problem with her scream on the first watch? And then after I said something, did you pay any mind to it on the second time through? Uh, I did not have a problem with it the first time. I paid attention to it the second time. Still no problem. I okay. All right. So it just must be me because I didn't uh, – it still seemed a little – it was a little pitch for me, dog. Um, I, I want to say maybe they lingered on it slightly too long. Maybe if they hadn't shown her just screaming for you know a good 30 seconds. I was just expecting like a good old-fashioned Jamie Lee Curtis scream. <laughs> and it just right. is a little, little thin and reedy for me, you know? Fair enough. A little Norman, Norman Reed is for me. <laughs> so Carl wakes up. Uh, Rick is not awake yet, and Carl goes to make some breakfast and read a book uh, up in his new room. And he tries to wake his dad up when he's done with that, and he attracts a couple walkers in the process. So he lures them away, and he almost gets eaten. Yep. Uh, th- there are There is a commercial cut in here, but I'm not going to pay attention to that so the uh the lori grimes blood runs strong what do you mean i you know it just i thought it was funny that he lures them away and he's and he's walking backwards no less oh that was really cool too how they show his feet in close up as he's walking backwards and you think oh he's gonna trip and these guys are gonna get him yeah and they it, it didn't happen Right, right, right. And, you know, it's like he's walking backwards. I'm like, that's really, really strange. And then um, he leads them down like the equiv- the the sunlight Atlanta, Georgia version of a suburban dark alley. Uh-huh, sure. So it's like those seems like two really bad choices in a row. Yeah, I, I don't know where he was going with that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know either. What was like, his plan? Like, to me, it's like you just kind of lead him off from the house and you get a couple blocks away and then you just take off sprinting and go around the corner and boom. You know, yeah. break line of sight, go back to your house or beat him to death with a two-by-four or whatever you want to do. But what do you got to – It's you know, there's no cops around. You're not murdering people. There's <laughs> There's no need to take him back behind the woodshed. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's one of those Carl's. things where it's like uh, – Hmm, we we need to believably have Carl be jumped by and surprised by zombies, so let's stage it this way. And uh, I don't Yeah. Um I think him walking backwards and just tripping over something would would you like that more better or worse? 
Well, I like the little trick they played on us, making us think that that was going to happen and then not having that happen. Then having even something even stupider happen. (laughs) Well, if that's the problem, right? They didn't. They played the trick, and then the execution at the end was not so great. Uh huh. Uh, So I I would have liked something else to happen, but I would still like the trick. I would want the trick to be there. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, What do you think is going on with Rick here? He just will not wake up. Um, I think that he has multiple concussions from the governor beating the holy hell out of his head uh-huh. and his brain didn't know worky so well. But, uh, but up until this point, he was, he was able to function. Is, it, is well, it just a case of he has to get out of danger and his, and once he's out of danger and he can relax, his body knows that and kind of shuts down. That's that, itself? I was just about to make that second comparison is the fact that he was probably so jacked up on adrenaline yeah, and grief and rage, and as soon as, as you say, as soon as his body realized he got someplace safe for his mind, he like kind of went into a, you know, not a medical coma, but a healing coma of some kind. Um, what I thought was more interesting is, I was surprised at how combative and that Rick was with Carl leading up to him passing out. Like, you know, Carl was giving him a lot of shit, sure, but Rick was trying to kind of like, you know, put his foot down and, 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 you know, top it to dad. And I felt like that he didn't show a lot of empathy with Carl's situation. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Like, I think if I was in that position, I wouldn't need my son to scream at me that he doesn't trust me and he thinks I'm, a, you know, it's like I would I would be feeling that feeling myself. That like, oh, my God, I let these people down again. And I wouldn't be like, you know, what the hell is wrong with you? Watch your fucking mouth and stuff like, you know, whatever Rick was saying. If he probably didn't say fucking mouth, that would be counterproductive. No, <laughs> no he didn't. But, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Although I think, the, that, relationship. I think Carl should have tried to wake up you shithead. <laughs> he would have just jumped up like a daisy and like you know with the with the bar of soap in hand to shove in his mouth if he'd done that. Perfect. <laughs> uh so we go back to Michonne and she is walking uh alongside a group of walkers. Actually, the group of walkers, the herd, is kind of forming around her, which I thought was really cool because we get to see kind of how these herds form, right? Right. Like we've we've asked that question before, like how do you get a herd of walkers? Well now we see it. Mm-hmm. Walkers are attracted to each other instinctively. They don't have mm-hmm. to think about it. It's interesting. And also, that was something down in the writer's Bible for this show from before season one. Uh-huh. Uh, if, I don't know if you remember that. There's like a 12-point writer's Bible about zombies and like what they can do and what they can't do. And uh, the herd me- mechanism was kind of laid out there. And we saw a little bit of it at the end of season two. But yeah, as you say, we were actually watching a herd being formed. Uh, and that's about all I've got to say about this because I think the more you think about how her pet camouflage works, yeah, yeah, and what we know of zo- uh, Walker biology and and uh, predatory adaptations, the less the scene makes any kind of fucking sense at all. Yeah, I, I think there's, I don't know, like a YouTube video or something that could be made just talking about that subject. So probably uh, we, we should we tackle won't go it. Into it here. All right. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, so then Carl is uh, there. There's another big reason why she's like kind of looking at these zombies so closely. Uh, but I'm going to save it until the second time she does it and then totally freaks out. So we go back to Carl and Rick and Carl decides he's going to yell at his dad while he's sleeping. Like uh, you do. Just, just kind of take out some of his frustration, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why, with as re- rebellious and obnoxious as he's being, he can't just do this to his father's face. Uh, I feel like I, I, there's this weird like respect or something that is going on because Carl is still wearing that freaking sheriff's hat uh-huh. throughout this whole episode. And if he was that angry at his dad, I would think he would take it off. Or or maybe he sees himself as the protector now, and he just that's his symbol. I th- yeah, I think uh, I don't know. Um, I think Carl's too old that they're. I think they're keeping the sheriff hat around just for some of the iconic imagery. And again, this is one of my favorite comic books, and this was fairly word for word the scene. And in the comics, you know, Carl's somewhere between eight to nine years old, and he's a little boy, and he's got this oversized cowboy hat, and it makes it really heartbreaking. And you can feel, uh, to me, I think this is all about Carl psyching himself up for his dad's inevitable death. Huh. Okay. He's like venting all this anger and trying to trying to protect himself subconsciously by severing the relationship he has with his father, and sure. you know instead of processing his grief properly, he's just trying to stay in anger as long as he can um, to 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 kind of stave off that. And that's I think that's where it pays off at the end, where he realizes that as tough as he is and as much as he's tried, he doesn't have it in him to kill to put another one of his parents down and he doesn't want to go on if he's just going to be him without his dad the watch is back and without his mom the the love him without his sister to watch he just doesn't want to he doesn't even want to try so yeah, yeah. the problem though is i don't think chandler riggs is 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 got enough chops to carry this kind of weight and Seppenwall said the same thing that he thought that he was a little too young to carry as much silence and just kind of you know, no dialogue action. I mean, it's this. There's a lot of like Tom Hanks, uh, um, Castaway in this episode. There's long Wilson. stretches. <laughs> Pudding. <laughs> no, but so yeah, I think there's a lot. There's long stretches of. It'd be hilarious if he had like taken the pudding out and drawn a little chocolate face on it. Um, <laughs> It, it there's a there's a lot of that that takes a lot to pull off, um, and I just I didn't think he was up to it. He did a he did an adequate job, but to really pull this screaming at your unconscious dad scene, you have to be, uh, you know, I I'm trying to think uh like a Haley Joe Osment in his prime kind of, hmm. and is yeah. in his in his sixth sense age bracket to pull something like that off. Okay. So it didn't work because he's too old for what this for the for the plot that they had him in, uh, and also he's just not a good enough actor. Hmm. All right. Well, I will not argue with you too much there. I think uh, on second viewing, I wasn't as impressed with it. Um, so what? Well, it's interesting it though because you were you had no. I mean, uh, you haven't read to that point in the comics, so sure. I, I wonder. Um, if my experience as the comic, if comic fan um, robbed a little bit of that intensity, because it is such an intense experience and it's something that I built up in my mind. Whereas you, it's like, wow, you know, this is a lot of pathos for a little kid to have. I I just wonder if that explains the difference. Could be, could be. Um, So I, Carl goes out and he's searching uh, another house and he almost gets eaten by a walker in a bedroom. Then he, loses his shoe he fires off all of his bullets and 
Uh, he eats an inhuman amount of pudding on the roof of the house. Right. I thought it was interesting when he walks up to this house, he's got this uh, crowbar or something in his hand, and he tries to smash down the door. And this is mm-hmm. this is a moment where he fails, right? Like Rick, he's seen Rick do this before. <laughs> right. Uh, Rick can do this with one foot, whereas Carl throws a whole body against it. He can't bust it down. Yeah. Uh, it's it's starting to crack that perception of I am able to totally take care of myself a little bit. Right. And and then the events of this scene, I mean, the, the walker nearly getting him uh, just, you know, because of Damn. His, his size. Yeah, I feel like if Carl was a red shirt, he would have got him because there's the mm-hmm. the um, amount of time a walker takes uh, from the point he grabs you and has you in bite range and actually bites you is inverse relation to uh, how long you've been on the show as a survivor. Because like <laughs> yeah, if you yeah. if you got inter- if you're some faceless schmo that does not in the main cast that just got introduced this episode, a walker grabs you and they're going to bite and pull muscle off of your bone in about a half mm-hmm. a second. If you're Chandler Riggs, you get about 45 seconds of walker posturing and gnashing his teeth and ah, you know, <laughs> getting that. It's like I feel like the walker tied a bib around his neck. <laughs> <laughs> sharpened up a carving knife, seasoned Carl's leg, squeezed barbecue lemon sauce. juice on it, got some of the barbecue sauce, slathered it on, and he finally all he had is boiled shoe leather to eat. Yep. Pretty sad, really, when you think of it from the zombie's point of view. <laughs> You're absolutely right, because you remember that scene in the the food store where the zombies started raining out of the ceiling, and the kid yeah. who was talking to Daryl got his leg immediately bitten. Oh, yeah. And, like, so. y- y- same thing with... Uh, uh, the governor's quote unquote daughter from last year, uh, uh-huh. Lily's Lily's girl. She that that walker went from buried six feet under in mud <laughs> to biting six year old girl leg in like uh, a quarter of a second. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so I don't know what else do you want to talk about here. I really like the note, the note that he leaves, uh, inspired by the note that they found in Joe Junior's barbecue shack. Mm hmm. Uh, he's, he's got a little smile on his face when he does this. And I like that he says that they didn't get me, you know? Right. It's, he uh, did it's, not get bit. He he must be a uh, Walking Dead cast fan. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, there's also a dead bird on the floor. Oh, yeah, I did want to I did want to say something about uh, Carl busting himself up against the door. Uh-huh. There is one of those, like, long, skinny windows running right alongside the door <laughs> that you could, yeah. say, smash, reach in, and unlock the door. So there's that. I just wanted to point that might be something that shows up on my Idiot Survivor Guide. Uh, or, no, that's your that's your bag. My Zombie Survival Guide uh, that uh-huh. will be posted Friday around noon Eastern Central Time. Eastern Standard Time. Yeah, um... Okay, so that was a dumb moment for him, but he does a lot of things right. Um, he's he's closing doors behind him as he checks each room. Sure, yep, clear. Um, he's not totally unequipped to protect himself. He's been taught a lot of things by Shane and Daryl and Rick. And he's it's fucking just, survived in this world. Like he's, we talked about him being yeah. uh, grown up into be a little a little badass. It's it's yeah. So but I, it, I but like it's just about him his size and his strength. Right, he yeah. can't physically perform the acts that he needs to to get things done. Yeah, like for and, example, for Rick. Rick and a, a healthy Rick or a hel- healthy Daryl, a healthy Shane, hell, even a healthy Herschel uh, when he had two legs. A single walker <laughs> is not a challenge at all. 
Yeah. They're pathetic. Like, there's a numerous amount of ways you can kill them, including just pushing them down by their stupid faces. Mm -hmm. But against a guy Carl's size... Uh, they're still a threat because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, he's got the reach and the mass. And once you grab hold of your, it's there, even though it's a, obviously weak, um, it's still stronger than a child. So that, I like that. Mm. I like that part. Yeah. That's pretty good. All right. Let's go back to Michonne and get to kind of her turning point in this episode. Uh, she's once again walking with the herd of walkers and staring at them. Uh, she sees one who looks, Almost identical to her. Uh, same hair, same kind of clothing, everything. Uh, she freaks out, and she kills all of the walkers, including her pets. Uh, and then afterwards, she goes back to the boot tracks that she saw on the path, and she follows those. Was there any point uh, on when they interviewed Denai where they talked about what set her off? Because I thought it was clearly yes. her zombie doppelganger. Uh-huh. Like, it's yeah, kind of like looking... part of it. It was like looking at a mirror of herself as a zombie. And it was like clearly like she was trying to like maintain, trying to maintain. But it's like, holy shit. You know? Yeah. I mean, the core of it is she's looking at this person who uh, looks just like her and is a walker. And she realizes she's surrounded by these walkers. She is basically dead. She is basically a walker. She's all alone. She's lost in the woods. She has no purpose. And she... She decides that is not what I want. After having this dream and seeing what she was before, what she's become, she decides finally to deal with the loss and the things that have been bugging her and to fix it. Mm-hmm. And so she goes crazy and just kills all these walkers. Right. Uh, as as a form of her healing. And then you can see that that's totally demonstrated by her going back to the path and choosing to go down that path. Right. Where where some hope lies, you know, she sees the boots, she sees the footsteps. Uh, I don't know if she knows that it's Rick, but she knows that it's somebody. I thought that they, uh, at least on the second time when she came to the prince, that she clearly suspected that. I, I don't I, I don't have anything. It's not like there was closed captioning, like you know, Michonne realizes these are Carl and Rick's boots. <laughs> but uh-huh. I just thought I saw that kind of flash of recognition or something. The way she portrayed that 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 was my suspicion. Yeah, I'm with you. It kind of seemed like it. Uh, So let's move on. Rick acts like a walker, and Carl decides that he was wrong about not caring if his father died um, and him not being able to protect him. Um, The only real thing that struck me in this is the line, I'm scared at the end. Um, This is a big turning point for Carl, even though he knows that his father has made mistakes and failed. uh, He's still, you know... He doesn't actually want to lose his father. Right. Uh, and he needs his father's help in some mm-hmm. regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else about that scene? No, I mean, like, uh, the same objection I had uh, before that I don't think he uh, gave us gave us quite enough uh, hmm. there to... And, and similar to I had some issues with Michonne's primal scream, I had some issues with Chandler's uh, bawling. <laughs> okay kid you're not crying right not like not like ball out of control his uh his <laughs> b-a-w-l ing god uh, damn it chandler you're gonna cry or you're gonna get off my fucking set <laughs> uh no yeah so did and i, I it's interesting because i saw some people on the facebook thread and elsewhere on the internet um 
Did you see Sepinwall's article last week where he asked if it's time for Rick to die? No, I didn't. Okay, because his his thing is he's really tired of Rick's leadership, you know, eternal question of whether he's a good leader or not, and how they always go back to that well. And he mm-hmm. thinks that to shake things up, they need to kill Rick. If not this season, the next season. Um, do you... It, obviously, you didn't think that Rick was going to die, or sure. he had died and become a zombie. No. Um, but the, they they clearly were trying to make us. Do you think they do you think they were trying to make people think that, or do you think they were just trying to sell it that Carl would believe that he did that? that I think the dead? latter is true. I don't think anybody thought that Rick would have died there. And also, I think Rick must have been out of, still out of his fucking mind because, and it's never it, it wouldn't be a good idea to do that in the regular world, uh, you know. But it's especially a bad idea to act like a zombie for a good forty five seconds. Uh-huh. With your armed son with a loaded cocked gun pointed at your face, pretending to be zombie before you finally say some words. Yeah, so after he, all, he did shoot his mother, his zombified mother. So that's come on. true. That's true. Uh, so you think that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like uh, not. Rick must have been still contused. Oh yeah, or definitely. concussed, concussed. He, I guess he then just he falls on the floor. He says one line and he passes out again. So he's like, "Don't go outside." Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler uh, alert! Already time did. To do your Rick, uh, your busted up Rick impression. If you got one, ah, uh, I don't know. Oh, on the spot. I don't think I, I don't. I don't think I got it. Carl, right. <laughs> don't go. Don't go outside. I know it's it's terrible. Jesus, no, I'm rusty. Needs a little more mush mouth. Gotta. <laughs> anyway, I, all right. I got to move I, on. I, let me see. I got some cotton balls here in my desk drawer. <laughs> let me load. Let me load my mouth with cotton balls, and <laughs> and thumbtacks and thumbtacks, and give it another try. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, okay. Well, while you do that, I'm going to move to the next scene. Uh, Michonne gets to <laughs> Michonne gets to Joe and Joe Junior's barbecue shack, and she sees the note that was left there, um, and kind of has, you know, uh, a moment of realization i guess what what was wrong with her scenario and why she needed to continue why she should continue uh even though the world seems hopeless Uh, yeah she she gives this big long speech uh well i don't know it's not too long uh she says mike i miss you i missed you even when i was with you back at camp you're wrong because i'm still here and you could be too and he could be here i'm assuming she's talking about her child uh and then she says, I know the answer. I know why. Uh, that that why being why they would want to continue. Fun fact, that represents fully half of her dialogue on the show so far. <laughs> <laughs> it might. It might. Um, yeah, and that's about, uh, about it for that scene. Uh, good, Really good acting. Stellar acting from... Uh, deny Guerrero there. Yep, I thought she in this scene and uh, when she finally finds Rick and Carl, I thought she really knocked it out of the park. It was only the scream that let that that I thought let me down. All right, so we go back one final time to Rick and Carl. Rick is finally awake. How quickly would I be arrested if I actually engineered a situation where we just scare the shit out of Deny Guerrero to see if she can actually perform a good scream? <laughs> How quickly I'd be quickly, arrested or beat or, or beat to death by James and Eric, James and Eric's uh, crack security team. 
Very, very quickly, I think. But it's for science, man. It's for science. <laughs> as long as you record it as a podcast, it'll be okay. <laughs> it's covered under acting. <laughs> I need to get my I need to get my director's guild credit, and then you can pretty much do whatever you want with actors, I think, at that point. Yep. Um so yeah, Rick's awake and Carl and him kind of have a talk and a little bonding moment there. Uh now that Carl's not screaming curse words at his father, they're able to talk. Uh, and then after their talk, Michonne finds him in the house. So in this scene, Rick tells Carl now that he's a man. And he apologizes uh, for, you know, messing up a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Carl says, you don't need to be sorry. So it looks like Carl has come to terms with a lot of stuff here. Uh, kind of his role in this relationship. Uh, right it on. Was, it was fairly touching. I liked it. Well, I mean, there's nothing like, you know, because a lot of people... I. I think one of the potential uses for Star Trek holotech technology is to put yourself in the kind of uh, hypothetical situations. Like, what would I have done if I was on one of the the uh, the, the boats of Normandy and the, the doors open and there's withering machine gun fire? Would I just shat myself and died? Would I climb? <laughs> you know, what would I have done? And, like, uh-huh. to hypnotize yourself and that's real and just put yourself in that situation. Like, Carl put himself in that situation. Like, if if you... Were you going to go on if you were alone in the world and you had no family left, and he clearly wasn't, and and he needs his dad? That's really fucking valuable information. Oh, definitely. I yeah. wish we fat, dumb, and happy in nice, secured Western world could 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 have those kind of clean, primal insights into ourselves. But you want it in the full safety of the holodeck. You well, obviously, I don't. The other stuff that comes along with it. No, I'm just saying that that's that's um, sometimes you really find you you learn a lot about yourself in those situations, and we don't get the opportunity to be put in situations like that. That is very so, true. Yeah. You know, it's or we find out it's too late. Like you don't appreciate your parents until they die, or you don't appreciate uh, you know being healthy until you get sick. And it's you know it's like it's that's a tragedy of human life. Or Carl, I'm not going to say he's lucky because this is a really shitty situation to be in, but he mm-hmm. learned a very important thing about himself and didn't have to kill it it's it's almost like the holograph holodeck situation except for he is genuinely in a shithole zombie world <laughs> yeah yeah i think we should move on this that. the this aaron's hypothetical situation engine here <laughs> is is kind of like michonne's pets you don't want to stop and think about it too much just kind of nod and be like oh yeah that's profound and, and keep moving on so let's All let's, right, let's well, move on jim there's nothing to move on to that's the end of the episode damn um, it Damn it. Now they're going to dwell on it, and it's all going to fall apart. <laughs> we do, however, have Zombie Kill of the Week and Idiot Survivor of the Week. Uh, I am giving oh, Zombie wait, Kill... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Is is Carl going to be disappointed when he finds out it's not Beth? He's going to be super disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> it's for you. Yeah, get his hopes up. He's going to he's gonna bring shithead right back out of his back pocket <laughs> as soon as he finds out it's Michonne and not, and not Beth. Okay, uh, now I'm ready. Zombie kill of the week, I'm giving to Michonne for putting Herschel out of his misery. Oh, That's nice. That's the kill that I liked the most. I thought when you when she was uh, going to go unleash her killer c- 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 combo. Um, We've seen her do that so many times, though. That's true. I think this is the most combo. This is the biggest combo she's ever achieved. Um, yeah, there was an yeah. interesting bit on Talking Dead where she said they only had... Uh, permission, filming permission to shoot like eight decapitations. What? And, and what? yeah, yeah. 
it was some budgetary restriction or something with special effects and all that. So they actually Nic- they actually really killed some of those college kids. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> no, no. But Greg Nicotero was there. He's the director, and you know he's an executive producer, and he calls the shots on some of this stuff. So he decided, uh, I'm just not going to call cut because she's doing doing such a great job. So Michonne uh, Denai just started slashing zombies left and right, and they ended up killing all 23 of them. And Nicotero just left it in there because it, you know, it's his call, and he thought it was awesome. Yeah, he's like, run down to the, to the marsh or the Piggly Wiggly or the Publix or whatever the fuck you guys have down here. Get me a bunch of fucking cantaloupes, set them out in the <laughs> sun for a week. You give me uh, a you give you give me a, a Canon six D, and I will make this shit happen. <laughs> uh, food bread number five. And a big box of flour. I, I need a box of. I, I need a. I need a. Uh, a bag full of pig entrails, <laughs> rotten cantaloupes, some red sharpie yeah. markers, and I will make this happen. All right, idiot survivor of the week. Oh man, uh, it it goes. To you only Carl. got th- you only got three choices unless you want to bring Joe, and he clearly didn't survive. So I'm going to disallow that. Okay. Um. Yeah. I, I'm going to give it to Carl. Uh. He does a lot of things here that are kind of dumb uh, in places, but his biggest mistake is to eating not realize... 112 ounces of chocolate pudding. <laughs> what 112 Agreed. ounces of pudding does to your intra- insides? Do you know how long it's been since he's seen toilet paper? <laughs> I mean, a long time, probably. It's it's not going to be pretty. No, it's, it's not, not no, going to be pretty. He gets it for not realizing that he's not quite there yet. That he mm. can't actually take care of himself right uh to the degree that he would like to uh that's it man that's the re that's the full recap okay not bad shall i do what what do i do now do i do promo do a little pimping and then we go into feedback okay you are rusty i'm I'm super rusty because the instant (laughs) cast for house of cards didn't do it because there's the instant cast Uh i was just like a loosey-goosey it's like you know we we've we fucked up the promo so much that you're just like, you know what? Fuck it. We're not going to do it anymore. I'll just splice something in. Uh, so I got to I gotta actually do this up proper. <clears throat> we are part of the Bald Move Network. You can find all of our content at baldmove.com. Not just a Walking Dead. We got Game of Thrones just coming roaring back in April. Did you notice Mad Men coming back? I uh, uh, believe uh, Game of Thrones comes back uh, uh, April, 6th, April 6th. And Mad Men comes back April 13th? Next week, yeah. the weekend after that? Yeah, it's back to back. So we're going to have cans full of fucking gasoline on the Ball Boom Network here pretty soon. Uh, we also got uh, uh, break, Breaking Bad coverage. Uh, don't forget our other affiliates, the Personal Arrogance Crew, uh, talking about general geek topics, including board, beer, ga- uh, beer games, board games, beer, and video games, and a lot of Seattle, a lot of disgusting Seattle Seahawks coverage, frankly, of late. <laughs> Uh, the Bacaw Show, uh, three awesome ladies out of L.A. talking about sex, relationship, books, makeup, pop culture. And uh, Tom and Kelly holding that up yours downstairs, uh, covering a pretty interesting episode or a pretty interesting season for Downton Abbey. Shit got real, and Kelly and Tom are there for you, there for me, there for all of us. Check them out if you haven't already, if you like that show. Uh, ways you can help us out. Jim and I love getting reviews and ratings on iTunes. It's the single biggest thing that drives traffic to our cast. It's the single best thing you can do to help us grow the network. Tell a uh, friend, a family member, a coworker about uh, Bald Move if you know somebody that's a fan of quality television. Uh, and also, last but certainly not le- least, you can use your Amazon affiliate link at amazon.baldmove.com. 
I've said it a hundred times and I'll say it a hundred more times. If you're shopping on Amazon, please use that link. It costs you nothing. There's no extra charge. It just sends love and money our way. It's a beautiful thing, and we rely on it to keep the lights on here at the Bald Move headquarters. And that's pimping. All right. I'm ready for the recap or for the feedback. <laughs> you're rusty too, <laughs> man. Doing another recap. Here we go. Uh, Jeremy J. Uh, he has a, a very coffee pot type theory, Dead Man's Brew. Uh, he wants to give us some insight. Bob, the alcoholic medic, is researching a cure for whatever contagion is causing the zombie apocalypse. He's carrying on the fine tradition of Poindexter. He's the one that's feeding the rats to the zombies. Then he's taking their bodies back to the prison and dissecting them. Uh, uh, science has found that rat brains and human brains have myriad similarities. And since the zombie infection reboots the diminutive brain activity in humans, we can go ahead and assume the two variables are connected. Sure. Uh, Bob's alcoholism is abetted by the fact that he's also experimenting with the people inside the prison. He's the reason they all became sick. His guilty conscience, however, does not impede his medical and scientific responsibility to find a cure that will benefit the greater good of humanity. I've only posted one link to the science behind rat-human-brain connections, but there are innumerable papers available online in medical journals. Okay. <laughs> we got right. Zombology 101 here, man. So rat-human-brain connection, I think there's a... Uh... There are points to be made there, sure. Uh, I don't know why, if Bob is doing this, he's leaving the rats dissected on boards around the prison at, prison at random. Is education, man. Didn't you see the, like... <laughs> oh, God. Didn't you see, like, Here, the... Lizzie, take a look at this. The smeared rainbow is a star that said, the more you know above that diorama. <laughs> I did not. I missed it. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, check it out. If you got high def, it's clear as day. Ultimately, it's not a bad theory, though. <laughs> <laughs> says the man who came up with Dead Man's Brew. Yeah, I like it. One o through four point uh, had the shit water brew of last season. <laughs> We're going to move on to Dylan S. He thought this episode was really well done. He liked that he kept it in line with the comics, even using some of the uh, same great scenes like Michonne stabbing the zombified head of Herschel. Then there's the Carl and Rick scenes, which Chandler Riggs did a great job with, was true to the comics, and got me really excited for the rest of the season because I think if they keep true to the comics, they can't go wrong. I agree with you there, Dylan. Uh, it wasn't lack of good material. It was just some execution problems for me. Uh, I also was happy that we were given more backstory with Michonne, but it's kind of confusing. First, everything was normal, and then they were all cute, and then it's the apocalypse, but she's still happy. Then they're dead. It was okay, though, because I love when the show uses flashbacks. What's not okay, though, was it me, or did it seem that the sword had an extended reach? She would swing it and be able to kill a walker a few yards away. It's probably safer for the extras that way. <laughs> Yeah, um, so the clips that I saw, they use, like, a half-sword, and ah. they kind of just get zombies close to it and then, you know, put it to the full sword CG'd in with digital it. effects. Gotcha. So maybe they, you know, just didn't quite get it perfect with the choreography, and then they had to extend the sword a little bit. Right, right. Um, also, I was happy that we were given more backstory with Michonne, but as oh, wait. Whoops, whoops. Next, next, next paragraph. Did you, either of you guys have a difficult time believing that Michonne's pets didn't try to still eat her after she removed her jaw and arms? I feel like they would still go after her like other zombies that have got their arms removed. Does removing the arms and jaw suddenly make them docile? Uh, what I thought she said at one point, and neither the comics or the series, was that her boyfriend and friend still tried to attack her for a few days after she cut their limbs off. What happened to the writing staff? Did they forget? I did not. Um... You know, I think it's like when you flip over an alligator and you rub its tummy. That's the, that's 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 what happens when you cut a walker's arms off. They just go docile instantly. 
Hmm. It's some kind of it's got some kind of reflex with the no no it's it's, it's horseshit and it doesn't make sense and we should <laughs> okay. we should not we should not think too strongly on it my uh, is, is my advice. Julie W says I can't believe or I can't be the only one who hates the way Chandler Riggs walks. The boy can't cry. The boy can't walk. He can't do a goddamn thing apparently between me and Julie. Uh, she says, "I just, I just can't. It's, it's so awkward. I get the fact that actors at that age are especially vulnerable, vulnerable to being hyper aware of their bodies and spaz out. But shit, he's been on the show for four years. Wow. Just reading that, I had a, a, I have a clear remember being in high school and being aware of how fucking stupid I was walking, because I, <laughs> I grew like something insane, like six inches that year, and I was just like, I don't even know if my legs are the same length. Oh my god, I look like a fucking idiot, and everybody knows it." Yeah, I, I didn't notice Carl walking weird. Uh, I'll have to go back and look. You know, I have so, noticed. I have okay. noticed um, in, in Justified, uh, Timothy Oliphant is really walking weird this season. Like he's really exaggerating the skinny ass spaghetti western cowboy walk. Like he's That's... got his elbow all cocked up and one shoulder's <laughs> above the other, and he's got this like I don't know what the opposite of a pimp walk is, but he's doing it. <laughs> Uh, I was actually going to mention that uh, Nick Terrell tried to film these scenes as Western, uh, like in the style of a Western. Mm. So maybe he was like, hey, Carl, walk with uh, a swagger or something. I don't know. Look, look, look at Timothy here. Look at the work he's doing on Justified. I want you to try to copy that. <laughs> we can we can, we can, can blame that. All right. Ellen uh, W. says, I want to say that I thought they did really well with Michonne in this episode. I love the dream sequence, and I thought it was relatively subtle by Walking Dead standards. Agreed. I thought it was just a flannel flashback till about halfway through it. Um, when it first began, I was like, oh, no, they're going to have a cheesy flashback to when she was crying holding Judith or when she had the two walkers on leashes. Is this to say, hey, see what we did there? It's pretty clever of us trying to tie all this in, huh? But then they didn't, and I really respe- respected that restraint. I think it's very telling of just how competent showrunner is this season compared to the previous showrunners. I'm talking to you, Mazera. My hopes for the season were momentarily shattered, however, when Michonne started talking out loud in that restaurant bar. It seemed like lazy writing to have her just spat out this dialogue directed at her dead lover. But then I remembered a little while ago she mentioned to Rick and Carl that she used to talk to her dead boyfriend. It was played as a throwaway line for comedic effect at the time, but hmm. they actually brought it back and didn't make a big song and dance out of it. This is when I kind of had a Rick and Carl father-son moment. I thought, you're a man now, Walking Dead. You're a man now. <laughs> Uh, it is a kind of rare form for The Walking Dead to be so subtle, uh, I, and to and to tie things in the way they have been. Yeah, I uh, hope we're, hope this is a sign of things to come. Uh, Pimby said, "I really like the opening shots and their callbacks when Rick rode into Atlanta. We talked about that. Uh, why do you think Michonne originally ignored the footprints? I think you covered that pretty well. Sure. Um, how does cutting? Well, no, we're not even going to go there." Uh, not sure if I liked the dream sequence or not. I guess it was kind of three flashbacks in one, which saved time. I just felt like they tried a bit too hard with it. What do you? What would you think if they did that flashback? Well, I don't think it would have worked narratively. But let's say that this, instead of having the confidence like we talked in the instant cast of telling just Michonne and just Carl and Rick's story, if they had done the standard thing of you know, piecemealing this out over three episodes with a bunch of Glenn and Daryl and everything mixed in. Do you think the flashback would have worked better if we had that doled out over three episodes? 
um, had her her entire plot line from this episode. Yeah, out we talked over three episodes. Like I like, like yeah, talked yeah, about I, the, I remember the what we talked about. Okay, okay. Uh, I yeah, didn't know like, if you meant the dream itself or her entire arc this episode. Her entire arc. I almost think it would have worked better if it was drawn out a little bit. You I know, don't know. The, Once you start mixing in too many plots and trying to keep too many things so focused in your head, at least for me, when I when I see like four or five plots in an episode and it's stretched out over, you know, not seeing the show for a week and then another week, I start to lose focus on those particular storylines. So I think like containing them here and really just dealing with her issue, it felt very right to me. Mm. Uh Okay, I can get down with that. Um, Pimby continues, I don't buy that no one else, or I don't buy that these guys didn't have a regroup point or two planned. We talked about that in the preseason cast, but we also are very surprised. Since this is exact situation has happened to this group <laughs> once already. So if you weren't into survive, disaster survival before the zombie apocalypse, you've gone to the situation... Somebody in the fucking prison council would have said, you know what, we're going to have a rally point Alpha, Beta, and Charlie in case shit ever goes down. They had a bug out plan because they had the you know bus ready to go, but they didn't have a plan for how to meet back up later. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a bad idea. Uh, that will probably be on the zombie survival guide this week. I don't buy that no one else would return to the prison day or two later. Good point. Who is mowing all the fucking lawns? After four weeks of a Scottish summer, mine is waist high. In Georgia, grass must grow faster than Carl over a mid-season break. But after 18 months, it looks like a golf green. I'll tell you who's mowing the lawns. Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> it's a true detective joke that you that you don't that you don't get because you haven't seen the third episode. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and you never know. Yeah. So anyway, um, I like to wait. Who is dusting the houses? After 18 months, there'd be no dust. By the by, the way dust is being made of 90% human skin is a myth. It's just dirt, so there'd be plenty. That's a good point, because it seems like houses in The Walking Dead are either fucking bombed out. Like, remember the neighbor's uh, apartment upstairs above Liz, Lily and Tara? It was a horror show. Oh, yeah. Or it's pristine, like, Ikea showroom. There's no in-between <laughs> there. Like uh, sure. Carl's bedroom this episode. Uh, I like to just juxtaposition between childhood and adulthood for Carl in the bedroom, eating the pudding and giving up when Rick was needlessly pretending to be a walker. Uh, surely when Carl was there on the roof, there's enough space for the walker to get out the window. I wish Herschel's zombie head was next to the governor munching away on him. Well, that'd be interesting. Like if Michonne took Herschel's head and carefully put it on the governor's chest. <laughs> he just bored through. Or his crotch. So Herschel could get his beyond revenge beyond the grave. I, I think the governor had his revenge dealt to him. All right. I'm just pointing out that I think what happened is the, the window uh, got stuck, as sometimes it happens in the hot and humid south. Windows, wooden windows can get stuck and they're jammed, so it was just not. Mm -hmm. The zombie might have wanted to open it and get out there, but just couldn't do it, man. Couldn't do it. Frankie G says the universe of The Walking Dead has been laid out pretty clearly. Walkers are motivated by sound or smell, and they're so stupid they don't even realize that half of their bodies, or in some cases, such as Herschel's head, their whole bodies are missing. Their killing machines bent on eating, eating, eating. How then does Michonne get walkers to follow her and wait for them when she wants to stop and smell the apocalypse? Um, yeah. That's right along the lines of, you know, 
why why do the walkers behave the way they do and why do our pets work like they do? I just feel bad because he says, I want to believe, but I need your help. You're going to have to go see Mulder for that one because we've, we've, got, <laughs> we've got no UFO posters to give you, Frankie. Uh, Corey L. says, I think this week's episode was well-written, had a solid premise. However, the emotional weight of the episode relied too much on the acting ability of one Chandler Riggs. The kid does all right and is certainly getting better. He's definitely not as bad as Matthew Weiner's kid. Huh. Yeah. Unfortunately, Riggs just didn't have the acting chops to really elevate this episode. That being said, he had some pretty good nonverbal scenes. I like that moment when he was in a teenage boys' room admiring the gaming console. Good eye. I like that, too. You can see the spark of innocence in his eyes as he remembered the simpler times, playing video games and eating shitty pancakes with mom and dad. This was, fo- <laughs> uh, this was followed by the crushing realization that the TV would never turn on again in the days of care for your youth or nothing but memories now. Yeah, I thought, and I thought he did a dance. And maybe it's because as a young man himself, he can channel that. He knows what it's like to like be grounded from video games or to have your, your save file go corrupt. And just turn away from a game in disgust. Yeah, he, he doesn't know what it's like to have to slaughter your zombie father. He just doesn't doesn't have that world weary wisdom. Uh, Tom from Detroit said, "I think this is a great episode. First, a callback to the pilot right at the beginning, which we talked about. Um, he says it's a good way to start the new chapter in the series. Maybe it's a signal of a fresh start in a new direction with this new showrunner on board. Once he finished cleaning up the prison arc, do you think?" That that's a subtle signal, a wink at us from us to the Gimple or from the Gimple to us that I'm going to get things back on the Frank Darabont track. Uh, that what is a sim- uh, wink for that? The tank and the eviscerated horse, the, the uh, clear homage to when Walking Dead was the best, which was in season, the beginning of season one. That's interesting. Um I mean, it's a clear homage. What is it, he trying to it, tell it us? It is a clear homage, yes. Uh, and if, if he's trying to tell us anything, that may very well be it. Uh, he continues, I don't mind or didn't mind Michonne's portrayal in the dream sequence either. Just because we've never seen her act this way in the quote-unquote real life of the series doesn't mean she can't wig out in her dreams. That's where emotion lives after all in her head. It's good to finally see some of her backstory too. And I guess it's not too hard to find shoes in a zombie apocalypse. I noticed Carl was wearing two shoes at the end. I've always heard that good shoes are hard to come by in times like that, but maybe he lucked out and found a new pair his size in the kid's bedroom. The only thing I think is, like, uh, statistics I've seen is something like 97% of the human population died. I think it'd be pretty fucking easy to find shoes in that type of situation. Like, a natural disaster or, like, a population got decimated, sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, but ninety-seven percent is a lot of fucking shoes. Yeah, that is. Although a lot, a lot of, of a lot of them are still being are being walked around. Then, granted. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, let's see. Lindsay from Oregon says, "My first reaction after watching the episode is that it was very underwhelming." Uh oh. First, mm. first negative. Nan- Nancy here. From a Walking Dead episode, I would have to say it was solid, but beyond that benchmark, it just fell flat. On paper, I feel the episode should have been one of my favorites, and literally on paper, the comic book was my favorite. Uh, It had all the right ingredients, a character-driven plot, an elaborate flashback, Michonne being a badass, an emotional, complex father and son storyline. Yet despite all the right ingredients, it failed to cook fully, in my opinion, reaching only subpar levels. In your instant cast, you pointed to the acting, and I would have to agree. In the past, I've always blamed the writing, and I think that blame was more than fair, but this episode, the writing was very good. 
Nowhere near the wiener, but Villigan, but still solid. It was the actors that fell short, fail, failing to pull, fully pull you into that scene. But before I sound too negative, I did feel it was a solid episode for Walking Dead standards. You know, maybe to be fair to Chandler Riggs, um, R.J. Mitt did have Brian Cranston to bounce off of in that scene. <laughs> Like, sure. if Brian Cranston was just comatose, could he, mm-hmm. you know, because could he have brought some of that same pathos to the table? So I think that this was actually a heavier load a scene to carry, to be honest. So I just want to put that out there as well. Yeah, definitely uh, for his character. I'm I'm not totally sold on the idea that the other actors in this episode did not bring it. Uh, well, there's they, only they brought there's it really o- well. There's only three ep- characters in the episode. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Lincoln was comatose and douchey, uh, so you must be talking about Michonne, which I agree. Michonne did bring it. She did bring it. Outside of her Wilhelm scream. Uh, one other quick note. I thought it was interesting that when Lori died in childbirth, Carl had no problem putting her down before she turned. He didn't even hesitate, whipping out his gun and putting a bullet in Lori's brain. Contrast that with Carl not being able to shoot Rick, even when he's presumably about to kill him as a zombie. Just an interesting note. Um... Well, we talked about some of the differences between the circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. Secondly, I just want to throw some fuel on the coffee pot, dead man's brew, conspiracy theory loving crowd of the theory that uh, Carl didn't actually shoot his mother. He couldn't bring himself to do it. And that fat zombie was actually Lori Grimes that Rick was hallucinating as a zombie. I, I don't buy it, man. I, I know don't you don't. It. I know you don't. The, the man who who brought forth Dead Man's Brew does not buy a crazy-ass crackpot theory. Amazing. Hell no. It's, a, it's the exception that proves the rule. Uh, Sheil said, I thought this episode was really well done and bodes well for coming installments. There's probably fans out there who were looking at a balls-to-the-wall thriller or looking for a balls-to-the-wall thriller and found the mid-season opener disappointing. However, with the family separated into several groups, creating enough tension and show... Uh, Creating attention and showing that everyone is what is up to is probably unattainable. Uh, agreed. I'm glad they went the direction they did. Sunday story focused on Michonne and Ricarl. Thematically, they stayed. A, they shared a common journey separately. Michonne, having lost everyone from the group, was going to revert to withdrawn survivor. Uh, the just withdrawn survivor she was pre-Andrea, but in her walk from the prison, she came to realize she needs others to survive. Uh, we talked about that, but at the same time, Carl was exploring the neighborhood and testing his abilities. With each Walker encounter, his confidence grew and reduced his desire to stay with his father. But when faced with the possibility of Rick turning into a Walker, he couldn't pull the trigger. For all his father's faults, he needs him and would rather die without him. I hope in subsequent episodes, the writers juxtapose a couple groups in this way to show not only what happened to them after the prison, but how their inner journey mir- mirrors each other. That would yeah. be interesting if these are kind of all interla- interlocked in some way. Uh-huh. Uh, and also, I they can't drop the ball on Rick and Carl here. This relationship, I think, needs to evolve a lot this season, or else I'm going to be retros as retrospectively pissed off that they wasted the potential they did have here in this episode. Yeah, Carl can't go back to the way he was at the beginning of this episode again, right? Well, not only that, but I I don't think Rick, you know, Rick called him a man. You can't fucking treat him like a child from this episode on. You cannot. You can be concerned for him. You can be scared for him, but you cannot treat him. You can't pull this. I need you to hold down the fort and protect the people in this whatever fucking shithole we've held up for now, Carl, instead of going out on a badass awesome mission with all the other badasses. (laughs) I will be calling such bullshit if he does that. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to see continuing trust, trust and mutual respect. To, 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 to I want to see how that relationship's changed. This is a tipping point. I want to see that in the rest of the season and seasons to come. Uh, Graham H. said, I really liked this opening to the half season. Pretty much everything was uh, identical to the comic. The only gripe I had with the episode was the fact that Carl pretty much reverted back to season two levels of stupidity. Remember how he gets that lamp stake that he could easily take out a walker but doesn't use it when he gets pinned down in the house? The walkers don't get him. Putting induced diarrhea probably will. Uh, yeah, and also the the return to the season two theme of Carl won't stay in a fucking house. Yeah, it's true. Cannot, it's true. will not. You cannot keep him in that house. That's all we got. We got. We actually got a fair amount of spoiler takes, including uh, episode titles and um, uh, synopsis, like the you know one or two sentence like TV guide style synopsis for the rest of the season. Oh, so wow. if you yeah if you if you don't want to hear any of that uh, shit dropping you better turn off now because I'm about to say a couple words and Jim's about to say a couple words we're gonna play 15 minutes of music and then kick it right to spoilers. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, let's let's roll you, the outro and then if if you want to add to uh, our awesome levels of feedback we're getting please send your feedback to watchingdead at baldmove.com. Don't forget you can follow me on facebook.com/baldmove for your live weekly. Uh, Bald Move Family live watch of the Walking Dead live television show, Lively. And same thing over on Twitter, twitter.com, at Bald Move, to get down with Jim. You got two flavors of Bald Move you can choose from. Uh, that's it. Spoilers. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, for those of you not joining us for the spoilers, we'll see you next week. For those of you who are, we'll see you in 15 minutes. Till then, I'm Jim. <laughs> I'm Aaron. with the spoiler section what do we have this week we got bob b saying he just listened to the preview cast for the second part of the season i don't think we have to worry about alexandria free zone quite yet i've always thought the message is likely from the hunters Ooh, what better way to find and eat weeks sudden suspecting people than a broadcast a perfect trap for them promising hope just as the same as a promise of a piece of cheese on a mousetrap i fucking love that idea plus it throws assholes like yeah. me or comic book fans off Sure, that's a really good idea. Another thing to consider is that Alexandria's in Virginia in the comic. I don't see how a radio broadcast can make it that far into Georgia, not to mention that it really wasn't the style of the safe zone and recruiting people. Uh, one point to, to contradict that, uh, Cynthiana is in Kentucky in the comics, and it's some fucking King County, Georgia uh, precinct in uh, The Walking Dead. So they could they could easily compress all that stuff. I, in fact, I think they will. I don't think they're leaving Georgia because they fucking get a sweet ass tax break from working in Georgia. <laughs> yeah, at this, for sure. so so yeah, I think they're 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 in they're they're going to be rocking a peachoid for the whole series run. Uh, just by two cents, interested to see what you think. Hopefully, our gang is on the road for at least this half of season and maybe the first half of season five. I like it. I like uh, keeping them on the road is cool in my book as long as they don't cheap out. You know? Yeah, it's way more fun than having them hole up somewhere. For two and a half seasons, yes, yes, I agree. For two, yeah, definitely for two and a half seasons. <laughs> uh, Mark from Philly says there are usually episode descriptions for upcoming episodes for each show, but there seems to be descriptions for every upcoming episode of The Walking Dead. I wanted to share them with you guys. Yes, it's it's interest. It's 
rare that they're all out. Usually you've got six episodes, five episodes, um, you know, because the guides are already out. Like, you know, the, mm-hmm. they have to be, people have to record, set their DVRs and shit. So, um, but yeah, having the full season, that's kind of unusual. Uh, the description for after uh, episode nine was as Rick deals with old wounds, members of the prison have come to terms with their new environment and ask themselves the survival alone is enough. Uh, season two or episode two inmates in the quest for uh, stability and safety. The group faces many obstacles. That is mad men level. <laughs> not helpful. Right. When have they not faced many obstacles? Yeah. Uh, claimed. Uh, Don has a meeting. Peggy reveals a surprise. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> claimed episode three, a number of immediate threats plague Rick group members deal with their past. Still, uh, did Matthew Weiner fucking write these things? Uh, epi- they're, they're not giving up anything. Episode four, still an enlightened mission sprongs from a request from one of the group members. Hmm. Enlightened mission. Hmm. I wonder if that would be a priest sending them on a mission. Or I wonder if it would be Rick trying to get everybody to go back for Morgan. That's the huh. two things that uh, springs springs to mind. Episode 5, Alone. One group finds a shelter. A group has a realization about protection. That implies that through Episode 5, we still have multiple groups running around. It sure does, yeah. I like the sounds of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Episode six, the Grove. After establishing a new shelter, the group considers things returning to the way they used to be. Oh wait a second, this got off. The numbering got fucked up. This actually should be nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Episode fourteen, the Grove. After establishing a new shelter, the group considers things returning to the way they used to be. That Can't go back to the way things were. Yeah, but that sounds Alexandria safe house ish. Oh, safe safe yeah, zone ish. Yeah. Um, but wait, epi- it says they establish a new. Yeah, it says after area? establishing a new shelter, but but it's got to be something. Oh, do you think maybe they're pulling the um, Lion Estates plot from the very beginning to here, where they find a relatively oh, secure subdivision? Maybe it just doesn't say to me that they find a new place that is already established. It's that they make one. Mm. Also, I don't think the uh, harsh Georgia winter is in effect to make that plot line actually work on second thought. Uh, episode 15, I believe, Us. Motherfucker, Us. Uh, survivors rely on brutality and faith. Who's carrying the faith torch now that Herschel's dead? Oh, good question. Uh, maybe I'm, one of his daughters? Yeah, I'm just asking because I think uh, Us comic fans know, and we're kind of like laughing up our sleeves at you, Jim. Oh, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> episode 16A. A. Do you think that's a, a placeholder? Is that the actual... It it might be split two parts over the season, over the break. Or maybe this is a nod to Olympic excitement because the the previous one was us or US, and episode 16 is A. USA. <laughs> USA. It, it could definitely be, yeah. I don't uh, think mini- it's about the Olympics, but maybe it is meant to be USA. Uh, mini pats collide. Rick faces sheer brutality. The group struggles to survive. So this could either be the Hunters, or it could be the reveal of Negan, his character. Okay, sure. I um, can get behind either th- of those. They both sound interesting th- to me. Yeah, you and I have talked enough about Negan that you'd know kind of way that goes without, you know, even though you haven't read it. 
Yeah, yeah. So Mark from Philly says, I'm not a comics reader. What the hell are you doing in this spoiler section, man? What the <laughs> hell? Where's our bouncer? Um, but spoilers don't really bother me. Oh, okay. Well, come on in. On a side note, last week there was only a description for the first episode that read differently. Unfortunately, I don't think it would be significant, so I didn't take a screenshot of it. It said something about a reunited group heads for Washington, D.C. I wonder if that was a description for just the first episode of Season 5. Honestly, unless you saw that on your fucking DVR, I'm on, uh, I suspect that is wishful thinking for some editors taking a piss on people because <laughs> that's kind of what happens in the comics, and that's cl- clearly not happened this season. Um. Yeah. Oh, he also has an idea. I wonder if that was a description for the first episode of season five. They haven't even begun production on that yet, though. I don't think so, no. Uh, they've made errors in the past, so it might be possible. Would that jive with where their characters head in the future? If they follow the comics and they do the long sojourn out to Washington, D.C., and they do the Abraham and Rosita and Eugene arc, yes, they would be heading out to the East Coast. But... I would be very surprised if they get out of Atlanta or out of Georgia this season. Yeah. Period. Oh, period. I I don't know. I mean, could they, could they pretend that Georgia is, I guess they could. I mean, fucking California passes for every state in the union when they need to. (laughs) Yeah. Including Kentucky unjustified. Uh huh. I'm, I'm actually really interested in kind of the bigger scope stuff too. So when they do head to a city where people have been, Hold up and doing some actual research and stuff. I really want to see that part of the the whole journey. Okay. Um, Dylan S. comes back to double dip in the spoiler section. Says, in the comics, Andrew becomes a sharpshooter and does most of the shooting. Who do you guys think will uh, that will be on the show? Do you have any thoughts, Jim? Because I had a couple thoughts. Well, it's co- Daryl, obviously. He's the best. Okay. Okay, that's actually a fair point. He already is a sharpshooter. Yeah, and he's not in the comics, so... He's not in the comics. One thing I thought is, is both Andrea and Rick uh, end up having, developing a relationship and a close bond. Um, And so, you know, whenever Andrea's in peril, it's a double-edged sword. Number one, she's important to Rick, and number two, she's a group sharpshooter. I could see Carl growing into that role. Because I don't know that Daryl's at a sharpshooter... He's really good with his crossbow, but like uh-huh. you know, like not like a sniper type level. Yeah, definitely. I see what you mean. Um, so that that's one possibility. Uh, who do you think will play Dale's role, getting his shoulder bit by the walker, then leg eaten by the hunters? I thought it was going to be Herschel, man. Like I talked in the preseason cast. Now I have no idea. I yeah, I really don't know who that could be. Once again, um, Daryl, maybe, <laughs> and that, that's why I'm I'm starting to think, especially with if if the description, and I should say that we don't take all this to grain of salt because I haven't independently verified all this, but um, I wouldn't describe the Hunter storyline as sheer brutality. That's more like sheer horror or depravity. But when I think of brutality, I think Negan. I do not think the Hunters. So, yeah. and since unless you go with um, Bob B's a theory that the Alexander safe zone is basically a fake distress signal or a lure to lure people in, which is not a bad idea. Um, there is not a goddamn hint of the Hunter plot line anywhere in any of the promotional materials we've seen so far, which tells me that it might not happen at least this season. I mean, Hunters is a standalone arc that could happen just about any time. Sure. 
So, although I don't, I don't know if it came off of post Negan, that that wouldn't make sense because it's pro, it's a progression of Rook's group, you know. Uh huh. Um, let's see, where were we at here? Uh, Daryl, the badass of the TV show. Wait, uh, he's continuing on his theories. Is it like Daryl, the badass of the TV show? Tyrese, the first badass of the comics, and now we have Abraham that we know has been cast. As far as we know, both Daryl and Tyrese are alive. Is the show going to have three huge badasses at once, or is one of them going to die before they meet the Hunters? Or is that how they show that this group is badass without having to make other characters stronger than they should be? Would Brian Cranston not make the perfect Douglas Monroe? I don't know. Bro. Yeah, that's actually a pretty... That's not a bad uh, bit of casting there, Dylan. Uh, now for his speculation... Uh, speculation. I think that the rest of the season will be the group getting back together, leading to the last episode where one of the twins kills the other, and then Carl kills them for the last shot. Then season 5A is them being meeting Father Gabriel, and then having the Hunter's Ark ending with whoever it should be telling them that he's tainted meat. I want to say 5B will end with Team Not-So-Prison killing the Hunters, but I can't see how it can be dragged out for the first half of the season. We'll most likely end up meeting the welcome party to Alexandria. Then 6A will be in a safe zone, maybe ending with Abraham's crossbow bolt to the head. Then 6B meeting Ezekiel. Just a thought. Great to have the show back. Well, thanks, Dylan. Um, I don't well, know, man. That's, that's plotting out pretty far ahead. Yeah. I, I think I think we're going to see Father Gabriel based on these episode descri- descriptions mid-middle of this season. Uh-huh. And, and I hope it doesn't take... Like, whichever pieces of this group are going to get back together, I hope it doesn't take till the end of the season to do that. Yeah, and honestly, I, now that I'm reading these again, I keep scrolling back up here, maybe in episode uh, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, one group finds a shelter and a group has a realization about protection. I wonder if that's the beginning of the Hunter plot. Huh. And then in episode 7, or episode 15, the survivors rely on brutality and faith. That closes the Hunter arc. And then episode 16 is when the introduction of Negan. Okay, that's not a bad guess. I like that. that I've, based on the descriptions, it sounds like it could be. So that's that's what I think. And then... You know, like like I said, going on to season six, I don't, I, I have, I don't know, even know because I think next year is when the spinoff starts too. And I almost, I thought that Kirkman was going to try to put off Alexander and Negan for a while and try to draw out this road thing. But I think if anything, he seems eager to catch up and pass the comic book so he can start blazing new trails. Huh. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point when we get to the end of the comics. And I, they're barreling towards it, man. Inhaling the comics, writing comics to match what's on the TV show, or or if they just totally diverge, that would be weird. Well, it's it's going to be weird because uh, arguably the spinoff is already going to be a pretty big divergence, Uh and the show is already so far from what the comics are. And every once in a while, you have an episode like this where it really closely matches, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting points, though. Faye H. says, what did you think about Carl basically uh, – about how Carl basically repeated what Carol told Rick and that he couldn't just be a farmer? How do you feel about that, Jim? Uh, it made a lot of sense. You know, he said, I didn't forget how to protect us while you were off being a farmer. Um, that that expressed a lot of what he was feeling in that moment, and it made it, made it real to me. 
Um, secondly, in the second house, Carl enters the name on the bedroom door is Sam, same as the hippie from Indifference. You think he's the same Sam and that he's coming back as one of the hunters? Your thoughts? You know, uh, I just had a interesting, yeah. I just had a really good thought. We're wondering who's going to be the tainted meat, and we wondered why the hell would they introduce this very memorable character with like, you know, he's who's kind of his girlfriend was gimped up, and now he is too because his shoulder's dislocated or whatever, and he's got Rick's watch now. What if they meet Sam or someone gets captured by the group and Sam's the one that gets his leg eat? So it's not one of our survivors, but this, our we see this shit go down through their eyes and they eventually get rescued by the rest of the group or maybe they don't. Um, you know, but I, I wonder if, if that's a way that, that Sam will actually be captured by because he's a dumb fuck. If he's a hunter, yeah. I don't buy it, but I buy him getting captured by the hunters. Sure, and being and being definitely. and being and being used as meat stock, I think that's exactly how I'd see him going down in zombie apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, and you're pretty firm on the theory that he's coming back, right? Uh, I was not a fan, I but I also think that that's just a really big. Uh, that's uh, Chekhov's dumbass. Uh, <laughs> a, a dumbass shown in the first half of the season has to be killed in the second half. Okay, uh, so that would be a cool way to do it. Uh, Charlie from California, here are a couple theories about Judith and the end of the season, plus some thoughts on the season to come. Let's go back first. In your season 4.2 precast, one of you posted a theory about Judith being with Tyrese, but then something would happen to her before the groups rejoin. I thought this was an interesting theory, especially considering the bombshell Rick has, or thinks he has, because I'm still not convinced Carol killed Karen and David, and how this new event would juxtapose Rick and Tyrese. Though I have an extension of this theory. Now, run with me on this. Tyrese and the kids are on the run, and one night baby Judith is being extremely noisy, so someone steps up to make her quiet down. Only it's Lizzie slash Mika, and Judith is smothered by one, if not both, of them. Holy shit! Jeez, that's dark. (laughs) I say both because at the end of After, there is a sizzle reel of up-and-coming plot lines, and one of them shows the girls holding hands walking down train tracks together in a very creepy, almost Stephen King-esque scene. I could see them uh, show us Lizzie smother the baby and hold out Mika as a surprise twist for the end of the season when we deal with the psycho storyline. That being said, I believe we will spend the rest of the season regrouping and then finish the aforementioned storyline. And by the end of season, with a run up, or we'll end the season with a run up for uh, for Abraham, the mission to the DC storyline. We get the hunters in season five. Then by either mid season six or the end of season six, we get the brutal death of a fan favorite and the introduction of the baseball bat wielding Negan. I like Charlie how he's like he's playing the spoiler game smart. He's he's uh, got the fan, comic book fans nodding and everybody else that uh, thinks they're hard enough for the spoiler section and hasn't read it going like what? Uh, <laughs> if they go this route, that would put Negan in line to appear in episode one hundred, which is a fitting considering he makes his appearance in issue one hundred. Ooh, wait, no, that's that can't be right. Let me do some math here. <laughs> I think. Let me let me do some math here. We had six episodes in the first season, then thirteen episodes a second, then sixteen episodes, and then another sixteen episodes. We're at fifty-one. Yeah, it, in your so, in your standard like twenty-four episode, uh, TV yeah. shows, I think you hit the hundred mark right around season seven. Okay, so we'd be we'd be at eighty-three in this plan. So may, maybe you're, uh, and plus may, you might have forgot how sh- fucking short no, season one was. No, you hit it more at season five. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's what Charlie's going for, but we okay. we, didn't, we just didn't account for the 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 way the episodes are lined up. Um, that would be cool, but uh, I don't think we're gonna have to wait till episode 100 to get to him. Um, I like your theory on Liz, Lizzie slash Mika. Um, that would that would be interesting. And it would also, give a reason to kill him. <laughs> well, also, what if uh, what if Tyrese just kept that to himself and carried the secret, just like Rick thought about carrying the secret for Tyrese, you know, from keeping the the secret from Tyrese. Like Tyrese becomes Carol. That would be kind of ironic, right? Sure. Yeah. Also, if we're gonna get spoilery, Melissa McBride is still in the fucking uh, credit sequence. <laughs> we we got we got confirmed that she's coming back this season. Uh huh. Where the hell does she come back? Because I don't I didn't see anything in any of these descriptions that makes me think that she could be coming back. So it could be a flashback, unless but it's that unless seems it's lame. Unless it's episode nine, ten, eleven, um, claimed the number, uh, which is group members deal with their past. Okay. Maybe she comes back in that episode. Yeah, maybe she set up some kind of shelter, um, and now the group finds it. Mm-hmm. And they you know what? We're going to live with Carol now. We're kind of in wrapping up bullshit mode. I got to say, I bust out laughing when I saw the preview because we made a joke about Glenn uh, having that bus wreck flip over and him being the sole survivor like fugitive style uh-huh. and i'll be god damned if it doesn't look like that's exactly what happens but how does he end up on a rooftop man i i don't think it's a rooftop i thought it was like a bridge okay like a, a, bridge. A, a, a bridge falling in disrepair kind of thing uh-huh. that could be it too but it's that's exactly what it looks like happens man yeah, that is that's one of the most hilarious things in the world. If that's if that's how it works out, that I just made that as a joke. I like it. That's the way it should play out. Those people are useless anyway. <laughs> <laughs> one way to trim the fat, man. One way to save the budget. Definitely. Uh, I hope they go out spectacularly, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, if he's thrown clear of the bus, that's a pretty. That's like I said, yeah. fugitive, fugitive. I think you need to think fugitive. <laughs> okay. Uh, that bus is just barreling down train tracks, and Glenn's running for his life. Um, yep. okay. <clears throat> That's all we got. You got anything else you want to talk about? I sure don't. Okay. Well, I think we covered the hell out of this episode. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks, uh, everybody for listening. We'll see you next time. Yep. See you Sunday night.